So we're talking today in our the series. Yes, sir. You... Before we start. Okay. Tonight and the next few nights, we will be able to observe the stars. Ah, yeah. The Amen. Are going to be in That's right. Yeah, amen. Wow. Amen. All night. All night. Yeah, that way. South, 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 southwest down there. Yeah. No, you're good. I, I had, I had meant to say something about that. Somebody asked me if I'd gotten up to see it, and I was like, mm, no. <laughs> I have not. Uh, amen. So today we're, we're continuing in our series on the promise uh, as we work through the book of Genesis. Um, it, today we're at uh, chapter 18, and I promise you it's more, it's, well, I, last week was very difficult. This week is much better. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if you don't know why it was hard last week, you should just read Genesis chapter 17 and think of that as a Christmas story. Uh, it, yeah, it doesn't fit. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, this week we're talking about Abram, Abraham. He's he's become he's had his name changed. That happened last week. He's become Abraham, and and um, well, I don't I don't know if this ever happened to you or not. But but things did anything in your life ever just not work out the way you thought it was going to? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, so it's happened to most all of us. I would venture to say. I would believe to all of us. That's that's exactly where uh, we find in the story. I believe that it's going to. Not work out the way we expect it, but for a good reason. And uh, that good reason, I believe, is encouragement for you and for, for me. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, even, even if you're not, then today's text, today's story, I believe, you'll find encouragement uh, in your, for your life. I definitely believe that. But first, I just want to work through the text, and we're going to go through it kind of quick. And then at the end, I have just a couple, really one point uh, that I want to remind you of as we work our way through. But so just some things to notice as we go through here. First one in, is in um, verse 1. If you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis is in the very beginning. What chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. Um, if you could follow along. If you have your Bible on your telephone, which is that's what I usually do, uh, I encourage you just to follow along. I have the text up here, but it's always better to, to have our own. That way we can underline, highlight, circle stuff, make notes, uh, because that's, that's important. Anyway. The Lord appeared to Abraham in the trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Most of us read this verse. I'm going to stop right here because most of us read this. And, and don't think much about what we're reading. I mean, we just we say, okay, that Abraham's in the tent. The Lord shows up. But if you were a Jew, uh, the word Lord, when you read that, would spark all sorts of conflict for you. That word that we have printed there in, in your Bible is all caps, probably. The, the reason why is because that word that we translate Lord isn't a word at all. It's unpronounceable syllables that are stuck together. That's what the word really is. You can't even say it. There, there are, it's, not, it's not a word. Because it was the name of God. Uh, depending on which uh, cons- which vowels you put in there, it would be pronounced Yahweh or Jehovah. But if you were reading it from a, from the text, if you were reading it in the temple, you would say Adonai, or you would say the name. 
No, you wouldn't pronounce God. You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say Jehovah because that's the name of God, and God is that holy. You wouldn't even want to breathe his name. So what does that mean? Why is that important? It tells us that, that there is no doubt. I mean, there were, the reverence for God was so big. This was, there was no doubt that this is God interacting with Abraham. This wasn't an important person, a person Abraham had respect for. No, this was God himself who came to Abraham to have a conversation, to speak to him. And what that means, so we, think, we think, okay, that was God. God. No, what that means is, is that Abraham had an encounter with Jesus, the son. The son. Like Abraham met Jesus before he was Jesus. He met him when he was just the son. Scripture teaches us in Colossians 1.15 that the son is the invisible, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That Jesus is God. We, we understand God as being a trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. All three have always eternally existed. But here we have God the Son. God the Son shows up to, in, to interact with Abraham. And, and not, so God the Son is not part God. He's fully God. It's they say in Colossians 1.19, you might even put that, write that above your verse 1 of chapter 18, Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have in him his fullness. Like Jesus wasn't, the son wasn't part God. He was all God. All God resided in the son, in Jesus. So this Christmas, we aren't just expecting a baby. We aren't just expecting Jesus. We're expecting God to come in the flesh to earth to take on humanity our limitations and sacrifice to be our sacrifice to be our victor to be our hope our righteousness i know this is just verse one in this passage you're probably thinking we'll never get through these maybe but let's go on (laughs) abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby when he saw them He hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in in your eyes, Lord, do not not pass your servant by. Got to get these words out. He says, let a little water be brought that you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And then let me get something for you to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way now now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abram hurried to his tent. Quick, he said. Get three sails of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and he gave it to his servants. He said, hurry up and prepare it. And then he brought some of the curds and the milk and the calf that he prepared and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. <sighs> like, like he's, been, he's been racing around. He's been racing around like us getting ready for Christmas. Like you had to do it all in a day, right? Got the trees up, the lights up, the presents are wrapped. Got sweet potatoes, the sweet potatoes uh, in the oven. I got the ham. It's ready to go. I, whew, <sighs> right? That's kind of the way we read this text. It's like Abraham is exhausted. I'm just going to, I'm over I'm good. I'm just going to wait over here by the tree. It's exactly right. He's hurrying everywhere, trying to get everything done. That he needs to get done. 
What struck me about this was that he went and got a calf. We had a calf butchered. Uh, we used to get one every couple of years, and we, we had we had one butchered a few years ago, and we got half of the, the calf, and, and it was enough for us to eat for a whole year. Half. Here he butchers a calf for three people. I mean, this his his frantic pace, his his over and above provision. I mean, they just they they, tell, they shout that there we have a lost art of hospitality. Like he went over and above and beyond what any of us would expect. But in Abraham's world, and still in many Eastern African and and Central American countries, cultures. That hospitality is, this is what you do. This is what you do, even for strangers. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many of you have ever been on a mission trip out of the country, and, and you, you go and you, you build a relationship with a family who's literally dirt poor, and by the end of the week they're inviting you over for supper. And I remember a friend of mine who's a farmer here in, in the area, and they killed their chicken for him to eat. They only had one. They killed it so he would have chicken when he came to eat with them. Over and above hospitality. Hospitality we can't even get our minds around. Like, but it was, it was just done there for them. Now we go over and above. We go overboard too. But it's, it's usually for special guests. It's people we want to impress. Or people we love dearly. But these are strangers. I mean, there's no way in the text. We don't even, Abraham didn't even know that was God. I mean, we know because we're reading what the, the writer wrote, but in the, in the text, Abraham has no idea that this is God yet. Racing around. Look what happened in verses 8 and 9. Then he brought some curds and milk and calf and that he'd been prepared, and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood under the, near them under the tree. And then... Where's your wife Sarah, they asked. They're in the tent, Abraham responded. He brought up the food and he left them alone to eat. And he simply waited for them to finish. He'd done all this for them. He'd worked all, I mean, he'd been doing good things. Been busy. But just like Mary, Lazarus' sister in the New Testament, if you know the story, it was busyness, not business, but busyness that got in the way of a, of a conversation, of an encounter with God, prevented it. It, it. it delayed it. And that's, that's the thing here that I see, is that, that, that always God's voice is clearest when we slow down. When we slow down. When we stop racing around. When we just take a minute and pause under the tree. We just might hear God's voice. And there's other reasons why we don't hear God's voice. You know, you might be closed-minded. Just maybe just, ah, I don't believe that stuff. And so you, you never hear God speak. Or, or you may be hard-hearted. You can't forgive. You can't let go of that. Not. And so you never hear God's voice. Or you can just be too frantic in your life. Too busy doing even good things to hear God speak. That's where Abraham was. Granted, he was doing busy, he was doing good things, but he was busy doing good things. I'd ask if you'd ever been there, but I know I know you have, because we find ourselves there. Some of you are there today. Or you will be tomorrow. Fortunately, the good news is for Abraham and for you and for me, 
said, God is patient. God is patient. He waited. Okay, go ahead. Do your thing. I'm going to talk to you when time comes. The, the, the issue is that the, he delayed the conversation. Like if we'd have known that he was going to have this conversation, maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't have been racing around like that. Maybe. Maybe. So he asked him in verse 9, Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the tent, at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were, very, were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed. She laughed at herself and thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? <laughs> is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, yes, you did laugh. Sarah's laughing here under her breath, or not as bad as Abraham, but he did it in just the last chapter, but he fell on his face laughing because it was just too much to believe. Like, now, God, you're going to do something, right? Now God is going to do something. I mean, the fact of the matter is that that she was well past the age. But this is also the time when Abraham realized who he's talking to. Because, do you know my wife's name is Sarah? Like, he just threw that out there. Like, what's Sarah doing in the tent? And, and how do you know... How do you know all this? How do you know where she is all along? He, he realizes this is God. But for Abraham and for Sarah, right? This isn't, I mean, they were supposed to have had kids already, right? Like now is, it's not the way things work. That's something that we all need to keep in mind. That God's plan has its own schedule. We can't force it. We can't hurry it. God's plan has a schedule. Whether it's a promise of a baby to fulfill that promise that was made years ago, or a promise to, to provide for your needs, or salvation for a loved one, or deliverance from COVID for your business, or healing from an injury or a, a past hurt, or an addiction that you may struggle with now. God has its has a his plan has a schedule. And we can't force it to change. What we have to do is move through step by step by step, looking for God to lead us to the next one, the next faithful step. We can't skip five, steps 5 through 10 because we want to. God had moved Abraham and Sarah incrementally to this place where they were able to have a child next year. Next year. Yeah, we're going to have to wait some more. So look what God, look in verse 19 if you have it in your Bible. Verse 19 is one of the most powerful passages in Scripture, I believe. It says, God, the son asked Abraham, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? It's a question for us too. How we answer that question says a lot about our faith 
your faith? Is anything too hard for God? If you say no, then you have to wrestle through some things. If you say yes, you just have to wrestle through some things. I mean, think about the implications of either one of those answers. If nothing's too hard for God, then I should be willing to wait for his timetable. See, God's slowness isn't rooted in weakness. Sometimes, sometimes God delays. His delay is part of what he wants to accomplish in you. That's what it, the case it was for Abraham and Sarah. He had work to do in them, and he still does. That's what we're going to see here in just a moment. Verse 16. When the man got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked with them as they went on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He went on. Abraham will surely become a great nation, great and powerful nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right, doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Abraham had a great promise upon him to be a blessing to the world, right? To be a father of nations. That was, that was the promise that he had. To live into that promise, there was much he needed to understand. God's justice was just one of those things that God was about to teach him. It seems that, that God doesn't know for sure how thing, what's going on down in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's bad, and he knows that. We can get caught up in what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, but I think, right for today anyway, the, the, the important thing that I want us to see is that this is a teaching moment for Abraham. This is a time for God to teach Abraham something that he's going to need as the father of nations. Understanding is found in God's presence. That's for us too. This story is more about Abraham than Sodom. It's about Abraham gaining wisdom and understanding in, at God's feet. Abraham is enabled to see judgment and justice from God's perspective. And man, seeing those things from God's point of view always bring about a radical depth of appreciation. When we, when we do that we are better for it, when we see things the way God sees them, it's good, whatever the situation. Look what happens. Verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the, spa the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? 
The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if there are only 40 people found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have seen, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. And he said, may the Lord, Lord not be angry, but let me ask just once, what if only 10 can be found there? God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Okay, so, so get the picture. They get up from supper, and they all start to leave. Uh, Abraham, he walks off with them. They're walking down the val- towards the valley, down towards Sodom and Gomorrah in the valley of Sodom. And uh, the Lord remains with Abraham. The other two keep on going further, right? So they're kind of, you might picture it, you know, they're standing shoulder to shoulder. And they're, they're like looking down the valley at, at Sodom, down, down the mountain, and they see it. God, God tells them that, that what they're doing, and, and what does Abraham do in verse 23? When, when God explains, this is what we're doing. Verse 23, Abraham gets between, he approaches God. He gets between God and Sodom. He approaches the Lord, my text said. When my son was young, (laughs) he stepped between two of his friends who were in a fight. They happened to be brothers, and they both turned on him. I said, buddy, don't do that. <laughs> like, like, don't get between them. Like, like let, you can pull them apart, but don't get between them. Here we have two enemies, not friends, not brothers fighting, but two enemies fighting. And Abraham gets between them almost as though he's taking sides. That's what you did when your friends got in a fight, right? You took sides. Yeah, Abraham is taking sides, but he seems to be taking the side of the guilty, Not only does he stand between Abraham or between God and Sodom, but but look, he pleads the the case of Sodom to the Lord. He does this in a way that shows, though, that he's still on God's side, even though he's 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 for them. I mean, he's probably for them because that's where his nephew Lot is, right? Remember, that's where his nephew went to live. So he's probably. I mean, how many how many how much time have you spent praying for loved ones, right? We're going to be on their side. We're going we're gonna to intercede for them. That's what this is, is intercession. Is Abraham is interceding for those he loves. He does it in a way that shows that he's still on God's side. He's working for the glory of God, even though he's rooting for those people down there. Intercession. If you pray for those you love, and you feel like you I don't know why... Keep doing it because it matters. We see it right here in the text that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. 
Abraham has got to be, I mean, he's thinking, God, you can't destroy all the people because of sin. I mean, we might expect him to say, God, why don't you just, why don't you just take out the evil people and destroy them and leave everybody else? Right? I mean, that, that would make sense to us. Abraham, though, has known the goodness of God. Remember, he was a pagan. He knows how God's grace has changed his life, has made him great. God did. So we ask God, God, can you change the story here? Instead of judging all by the sinfulness of some, why don't you spare all because of the righteousness of some? Abraham knows that grace is a better way. And God likes the way Abraham is thinking. Because he says, okay, let's find 50. Think God's okay with the righteous sparing the unrighteous. God's okay with that. Shows us that God isn't eager, eager to destroy. I mean, some of us think that God is out to get us, but he's not. He's not out to get you or anybody else. This is where I'd see the text apply to our lives more than anywhere else. As Abraham stands for others. He's standing before God on behalf of the people of Sodom. We're going to talk about what's going on in Sodom later, maybe. But right now, we know from Genesis chapter 13 that their sin was grievous, right? I mean, that's what chapter 13 tells us. That, that sin is bringing judgment, right? That's what's happening. And that's something that probably doesn't come as a surprise to you, certainly doesn't to me, is that the way we live affects others. The way you live your life affects other people, for good and for bad, right? For the Lord, for the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. Proverb is truth from God. That sin doesn't just stop with you, it affects everybody around you. You can't keep it in a bottle, right? The whole story of, you know, going home from work and kicking the dog. You can't keep bad things at work from coming home and affecting everybody in the house. No more than you can affect keep your sin from affecting all those who interact with you. You can't. It affects everybody in your circle of influence. In the Eastern cultures where Abraham is, it, it was perfectly acceptable. And they were, they were most, I mean, they were okay with a, a corporate guilt, right? Because if, if, I'm, if I'm living in sin and you allow me to live in the community, then you're as responsible for my sin as I am. So, of course, everyone would be punished for it. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, don't be, be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And everybody's guilty, right? We have a responsibility for what we surround ourselves with. We have a responsibility for what we bring into the community. For many, that's another reason to be wary of sin because of how it affects others. But what I want us to notice is the power of righteousness in the story here that Abraham lays out. And I'm not talking about Abraham's righteousness. 
I'm talking about the righteousness of Sodom. That's right. Probably thinking, Pastor, you're crazy. He already said the sin there was was overwhelming, right? But in Genesis thirteen three, we know that the sin was an offense to God. But God and God was coming to judge them. What could possibly protect them from the judgment? What could possibly prevent God from raining down? holy terror upon that place what could possibly do that righteous people ten faithful righteous people could protect them that's all it took some of you need to hear this today right you're tired maybe you're questioning why your faith really matters at all why it matters that you 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 cling to jesus what is it why you keep praying, nothing happens. You keep putting yourself out there and you keep getting rejected. You keep helping and you keep getting taken advantage of. Serving, serving God, you feel like. It's in air quotes, right? Your faith is making a difference, though. I want to say your faith protects those around you. Your faith, your, your righteousness, the righteousness that you have. Dr. Luke in the Gospel of Luke, he tells a story about a, a blind man receiving his sight, being healed by Jesus. Jesus said, receive your sight and your faith, is, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. And immediately received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So your faith makes a difference in the lives of the people around you, when you as we live it out. As we live it out, people notice. Faith made the difference, and the man was changed by faith, and everybody around knew it. Yes, it was miraculous, but so are some of your lives. Some of your lives are miraculous, too. When God does something in your life, He's doing something in the lives of your neighbors, of your children, of your grandchildren, so we can praise Him. So we can praise him. So they can praise him. When he does it in your life, he's doing it in the lives of others. Everyone that you come in contact with. Your co-workers. Your children, grandchildren, your, your neighbors. Your, when God's at work in your life, he's at work in theirs. As you're involved in their life. You can tell everyone you meet. That God is at work. That God is at work, even in their life, because you're standing right in front of them. Proverbs 14.26 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. I just want us to be encouraged in this today, that your faith matters. Your faith matters to you, to your family, to everyone who's a part of your life, even strangers. Sure, my kids have been impacted by my faith. But do we do do we really think about how future generations are impacted as well? How about our community? How the faith of a few people have made an impact here in this community? 
how they continue to make an impact in this community. It's not something we brag about, but it is something to be encouraged by. You should be encouraged because of your faith. Because your faith is making a difference. It is. You may not see it, but I promise you it is. God promises that it will. I, I love watching some of you in the in the learning hub. Like, even the ones that are stressed out. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Shirley because she had a rough week in there. But even in that, that that's, that's encouraging because you're, you're there because of your faith because she tells me that. And it's making a difference in those kids' lives. On Wednesday night at dinner or with the youth group, it makes a difference. In the community where you serve, it makes a difference in people's lives. Your faith is making a difference in this community. Don't doubt it. Don't ever, don't, don't get so tired and worn out and so busy and hectic about Christmas that you miss Christmas. <laughs> we have no idea how the love we share can change a person. You have no idea. How you live your life makes a difference. Not just for your future, but for the future of others. I don't think anyone would want, to, want their mistakes to impact other people, right? We always want people to be protected from our mistakes, right? Please, protect people from my mistakes. Even though it happens all the time. People are harmed by my mistakes. But I think all of us would want to be able to stand in the gap for someone, to be able to stand before God and intercede in prayer for someone else that, that what I'm doing makes a difference in what's going to happen. How can we do what Abraham did here? How can we stand in the gap? How can we fill the gap that's there between God and them and judgment? It starts by what you believe in. Having faith in the future doesn't promise to help anybody. Just having faith in the future, the future alone, doesn't. Hoping for better outcomes doesn't help. Hope alone doesn't help. It's what our faith is in. It's what our faith is in. The promise keeper. Declared righteous. Paul the Apostle wrote a good bit about Abraham in the book of Romans. If you haven't read it, it's a good thing to read as we're working through this part of Genesis. He described Abraham's faith that, that how he was born as a, a pagan, right? He, he didn't know God. He didn't love God. He was declared righteous by God. He believed, and it was declared, credited to him as righteousness, is what Paul said. He went on to explain that, that when you work and you get paid, it's not a gift, right? You, you worked for it. You earned it. But he said, when you don't work and you get paid, now that is special. Right? When you don't work and you get a check anyway. My daughter had her paychecks. Somehow they got sent home. I sent her a picture of me holding her paycheck, going to the bank. I said, we got to keep doing this. I like this system. <laughs> you work, I get the check. This is all right. She said, no, Dad, put it in my account. <laughs> okay. But Romans 4, 5, it says just that, that thing. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. When we trust that God is, blesses the ungodly, the Sodom, the people in Sodom, Abraham, that is credited to us as righteousness. Recognizing that we're not good enough to earn it. We trust God. He justifies us, the ungodly. Because there was a time when you weren't godly. 
That's where it all begins. We put my faith, our faith, in the one who laid aside his being God, became a mere human, a mortal, right? Subjected himself to pain, to frustration, to judgment, to temptation on earth while remaining sinless and allowing those he came to rescue to actually kill him, to brutalize him and kill him, putting our faith in that man. God took Jesus' life, a perfect sacrifice, and counted it to you as righteousness when you put your faith in him. That's how it works. And he promises to, ch to change your life, declaring you righteous, yes, but to equip you to live a life that glorifies him. And what is that life like? What is that life like that fills the gap? Micah 6, 8. O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to do everything right, even when it's difficult. To love mercy. God doesn't give us what we deserve, but, but he gives us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. And we should love that, right? To love that so much that we share it with others. To walk humbly with God. To live close to him. Not looking to get him where I want him to where I want to go. Simple enough. Three easy steps to living the Christian life. And none of you can do it. <laughs> we can't. We can't do it without God's help. And that's what he promises to do. We're too much like Abraham. You and I. We make mistakes. But because of faith in Christ, our mistakes don't define us. Our relationship with God defines us. That's what he says. That we keep coming back to him. That defines us. Faith matters. Your faith matters. Don't forget that this Christmas. That people are watching you. The world is waiting for you. Because your faith, faith in the one, matters. Don't neglect it this Christmas. Rejoice in it. Celebrate it. It's Christmas. Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in us and through us, God, at this time. I thank you for how you're preparing our hearts again for your Son. We love you, Lord. We praise you today. Amen.